and welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by Tony. Turn and face the strange ch-ch-changes. <laughs> DMD, here I am. Still DMD. Still coming DMD, out with Starman me. Dave. Oh, man. Starman! Oh. I think it's Starman from Pro Wrestling on Nintendo. All right. but I, I, I think, think of Starman, the Jeff Bridges movie. So... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so as they've said, we are talking about changes today, because not long before we recorded this episode, Wansi has released a bunch of errata and official changes to the documents that come out with Tasha's Cauldron, and those changes in some cases are really having a big impact on the way certain groups play, or they might, depending on how those groups handle them. And you know, it's an interesting conversation, we think. It's Many of us have played a lot of Magic the Gathering and other games, so we are used to playing with errata. We've seen it in competitive situations, but this is errata uh, applied in that way to a role-playing game. And I think there's a real uh, real conversation here about whether or not that's something you want to put in your game and how you want to handle it. And, you know, did you have a player character who was benefiting from some of the things that they just, you know, frankly, the term is nerfed. <laughs> they take it, instead, of making, you know, instead of leaving them deadly, they've made them soft foam rubber. So that's what we're going to talk about here today. You know, what we think of errata, how, how we like it, how we don't like it, what we do with it in our games. And I think a good spot to start is just, you know, guys, why don't we just start by talking about errata in general? Because I know, Tony, you and I have talked about this a lot around some of those card games I mentioned. Dave, we've hit it with some of the board games we played and stuff like that. And yeah, But I feel like, you know, it's something I think that divides some of the gaming community a little bit. Do you appreciate it? When the company who created the game and put this stuff down in writing that you paid for and they, you know, they spell checked it and they edited it and they theoretically balanced it before they put it out. And now two years later, they come out with something that changes those rules and now might impact how you play your game. How do you feel about that? Well, some of these rules I look at and say, well, no, no shit that this I can't believe anybody was playing it any other way. Other times, <laughs> I, I'm like, thank God. And other times, you know, we're like, uh. That comes to, uh, they put in this section here, the, the rules as fun. So, I mean, honestly, if mm. the whole table loves something and been playing it, I certainly wouldn't take it and throw it out the window mid-campaign. Fair point, fair point. What about you, Dave? Yeah, a couple points. Uh, first, I really, so we were talking before the, the recording here that, I've been keeping up with a lot of like the sage advice stuff, which is kind of where a lot of this is coming from. Crawford will put out the sage advice thing a lot on his Twitter feed, stuff like that. Almost, um, almost all of it, I think. I think it's a combination of, I mean, the compendiums are are they're the sage advice Twitter answers compiled, and then there's also yeah. a segment of them. Some of them are things where they went back and said, okay, guys, we do we like how this works? Is this how we intended? Do we want to make changes? And then they make the changes. Yeah. Yeah, but and I didn't even realize when Thorne sent it over, but uh, it was the sage compendium off dnd.com, like the website. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I'm sitting here this morning with my coffee before heading off to work, uh, reading through. I uh, don't mind it. I kind of will generally take it or leave it within the game, but uh, it's actually improved uh, some of my some of my gaming, both behind the screen and in front of, to understand classes better because there's so much information. You know, Tony, what you said, I love the how they broke it out into uh, rules as written, rules as intended, and rules as fun. 
And they, they put the disclaimer as they do in everything that like, it's your game, you know, take this, leave this, but here's the skeleton that we keep working on. My last point with it is, I, I say this a lot, this stuff goes back to the very early days, the tradition of the game, because uh, I've mentioned this before, the graphic novel, Rise of the Dungeon Master. I'm going to figure out who the hell wrote this again. I can't remember. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, it's in one of my articles. I wrote it down. Anyway, um, but it's all, it's a graphic novel about the early days of the game when Gygax and Arsenal were putting it together. And the phone number in the original stuff was, was Gygax's home number. So like 10 p.m. at night, he'd be getting this call from like Buffalo, New York. Oh, is this uh, Mr. Gygax? Yeah, so if a wizard is casting Fireball, and like he would have to be answering this. So it's it's right from the very beginning of the game that Talk this- about customer service. Right, wow. that this stuff has, <laughs> has come about. Yeah, he said he would get calls all, all the you time. You don't see Richard Garfield doing point. that, do you? <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, there's a level of that too, that this is just kind of the nature of, of the, the hobby. This has always been there. It's not so, even if maybe it seems like it because they made it a little more official, you know? So you mentioned, Dave, you, you mentioned that there were some things at this that reading the stage mm -hmm. advice had really helped you with. Like yeah. what kinds of things? You have like, I mean, uh, like where has it made yeah. an impact? Yeah, Roderick, um, the half-elf bard in Tony's game. Um, I never realized that Jack of All Trades, which is the bard thing you get at a like second level, yeah. uh, which gives you half of your proficiency modifier to any ability check that you don't already have proficiency in, blah, blah, blah. That's initiative, too, because it's a dex check. Yeah. Um, and I, I never realized it. Meanwhile, I'm rolling now at like a plus, I don't know, six or some shit. <laughs> like, so, um, like, I never realized it. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. But I wouldn't have put that together. You know, I wouldn't have necessarily put that together. So I like when they people ask questions. I mean, I'm doing it right now um, just as a little sidebar uh, for the listening audience. We'll probably talk about it in the future. Uh, but we're going to be starting the first game where DM Tony, DM Thorne, and DM Dave are going to be players in the same game of Marvel superheroes. Um, but I'm trying to figure out, because I'm playing this magic-wielding character, and if you want crunch, man, go back to the TSR magic for the Marvel game. It's like training to be a fucking wizard. So I'm on, like, some of the boards being like, dude, can you explain this for me? Like, I don't like, I want to call up Jeff Grubb, but he's not around. I don't know how to get in touch with him. So, you know, I need the errata in that, you know. Or God help the MCU. Errata or errata. I'm not errata. sure. I think errata's right. Errata, errata. Errol, errata Flynn. Abracadabra. It's more like abracadabra because, you know, they say the words and the game changes. Woo! Oh, oh, hey! But yeah, I really, you know, have a little bit of a mixed feeling about it. it. Actually, okay, so to be honest with you, look, I played at a professional competitive level for a long time. You know, I played, I played Magic the Gathering. I first got into writing through Magic the Gathering, and I played that. Yeah, I certainly wasn't on the Pro Tour or anything, but I played in a lot of tournaments over that time. So I get the idea of errata. I think clarifying how these things work and making sure that your audience understands it is really important. Uh, you know, it really does. It's completely different how we play the game now versus how we played the game back in the 90s when you're talking like second edition and what you had is the books and, and frankly your friend's idiot interpretation of the books <laughs> or your own idiot interpretation of the books don't get me wrong don't think i'm just projecting here i mean any one of us could be wrong in how we interpret those things all the time because there's just so many ways that a ruling 
you know, at the end of the day, anything that's communicated with words is communicated to some extent with opinions. Like there's no way to write some level of interpretation out of your rule set. So I'm really glad they yeah. go through. And actually, you know, Jeremy Crawford goes online and he answers these things all the time. He gets he gets bombarded with tweets asking questions and he answers quite a bit of them. You know, the ones that he thinks are that need to be answered. And I really appreciate that. It's, I think it creates a, it it creates a certain kind of game where the fiddly details of the rules are more important than maybe we might have played in the 90s. But I think it's it's important to the kind of game we're playing where the interactions, the combo is really important. When they come out with errata, like when I mean, when I say errata, what I really mean is like when they come out with things that are like, no, this doesn't work this way. So for instance, uh, they changed the component cost on green flame blade and booming blade so they no longer work with shadow blade because now they require a blade that costs at least one silver piece shadow blade so so players arcane trickster roads were apparently using this combo shadow blade uh booming blade or green flame blade and they're stacking all the damage together with their other stuff now we haven't had a player do that in our games yet but i can understand that kind of being like a pretty cool thing you'd look to do and now they've come in and they've changed the wording of those two spells of the green flame and the booming blade to make sure to so that they don't work together with shadow blade and that's a little bit different to me because that's not so much a matter of hey you're you know let, let me make sure you guys understand what's intended here so for instance like the dexterity one that's a really common thing people get wrong all over the place including me right. including all of our right. games because they mentioned dexterity is they mentioned that initiative is a quote dexterity check in the text but you really need to you know, like it's buried in the text like it's 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 really in there like you gotta you have to be reading carefully to notice it's not it's an dexterity skill check and not just a random roll your dexterity so a lot of players do get that wrong so that's the sort of thing where it's just clarifying no 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 no, don't forget about this or no we didn't intend it to be like that like they also just added they made clear that paladin smites do not work with unarmed attacks in part because they just don't feel like they should uh however at the same time for the most part they've taken a really they've taken an approach to let the dms decide so even when even when uh, even where they kind of talk about the the paladin with unarmed with that smite doesn't work with unarmed strikes, they actually have a caveat in there like, look, that is this is this is a flavor. In, this is something we intended for the flavor of paladin. If your paladins can use smite through unarmed strikes, that's fine. It doesn't break the game balance. Like they actually have a note in there. This is not a balance issue. This is a flavor issue. If you want your paladins working differently in your games, DMs have at it. We don't care. That's fine. You, you'll still have fun. It won't break the game on you. Now, this green flame blade and booming blade thing, though, it's a little different because now they're really saying, look, these uh, we didn't intend for these to work together. I guess they're overpowered. We haven't seen that in our games. We're changing this. So now technically these do not work together. And that really is well, like, I can see know, how, post-facto I can see changing how, how the game would, I can see how it would because you're talking about a cantrip that's going to have a level of of damage wielding. You're, you're talking yeah. about a magical weapon that's going to have a level of damage. And you're talking about sneak attack. Yeah. And then any multipliers pass that. So I could see how all of a sudden that people are coming, whether or not they needed to release something to 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 change it officially, whatever, you know. One thing I wanted to ask for you and Tony both, because you guys played, I didn't really play much Magic the Gathering. Do you feel like, so I said, I kind of made the point that this stuff goes back uh, in some way all the way to the earliest days of the game, right? But do you feel like because Watsy, you know, is Magic the Gathering and now Watsy is, is D&D, do they approach it in that like does that come into it in that way do you think like does it because of the the where the company came from you know and with with changing these things if it, it looks op'd and stuff like that what are your thoughts it's a completely different situation magic the gathering is a competitive card game either you're playing at a table versus all your friends or it's one on one 
and it's very strictly rules based. Yeah. The the campaigns that we run, we're trying to get a group of uh, friends together for a number of hours and have fun. The importance and the strictness to the rules doesn't have to be there. Magic mm. functions because of these guidelines 100%. And I, I mean, and and Thorn may or disagree with me or agree with me on this point, but when Watsy came out with uh, a ruling on cards, that was kind of it. That is the way the game was played now. We didn't say, well, we're playing four versions ago. We chose, <laughs> we, chose to, we chose to ignore some things. Like, for example, we all played type one. We were never really never in the block or any of this stuff. We just played whatever, unless those cards were like absolutely blatantly banned. That was the only restriction, everything else, because it was a casual game, which is kind of the feel that I want to have for my uh, the D&D campaigns that I played in. So, OK, so so and that kind of comes back to that question I was asking about how you feel about a rat. And I'll, Dave, I'm going to come back to your question in a second. So you're talking yeah. more about this has come from the DNA of Watsi. But exactly. tell me, just 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 I was kind of curious about that because, you know, and that's kind of where I was coming from when I asked, do we appreciate this errata? Like, like, do we appreciate that the, that Watsi that is coming into D and D and making these changes? Because I'm on the fence about it a little bit. Like, if something was super broken, I think there's a, I think there's a discussion to have here. You know, about you know, is this something that's worthwhile? When you look at it, you 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 pretty much just ignore the errata, then, Tony. Not necessarily. There are some things in this whole list that we're looking at here that I agree with, and some that I don't, which we'll get into throughout there. Yeah. Sometimes I think they're very helpful to the game. They add important clarification, you know, that fighter that wants to use the action surge. No, you don't get your bonus attack, too. Yeah. I thought that was a little intuitive, but now it's absolutely spelled out. So in that respect, you know, the, the guys who made the game did a fantastic job, but they couldn't think of everything. Yeah. This gives them an opportunity to fine tune it. Yeah. So, and to come back, you know, this, this dovetails back into what, you know, quite, Dave, the question you were asking. So, you know, I played Magic uh, more seriously than I think, than, than, yeah. I mean, Tony, Tony was mostly playing casual with friends. It came out to some tournaments. So, uh, we have another friend of ours. We have several friends. We have a bunch of our friends who played this. Uh, one of our friends actually was PA state champ a few years ago. Uh, you know, oh. Jeremy King was, was the PA state champion. So like, like me and Jer had played through some of the local tournaments, some of the regional stuff. Uh, and I had actually gone on to write at Inquest Gamer about Magic. So, I was like, so I went through the whole, like, you know, like I said, I was never on the pro tour. I wasn't that good, but I went through it. I understand, like, I kind of saw how this all works with magic when you get into competitive play. And it is really important. They'll use errata sometimes as a way to balance cards. Like something comes out, doesn't quite work the way they intended the errata, and then they'll reprint it with the new errata. Now, the reason I talk about this in a D&D podcast is you asked, is this kind of something that's just, is this different from how TSR did it? It really is. Like this is... The way this works is, I think, I think this is coming from Wizards of the Coast approach to game design and management. And I do think it's mm. part of the company DNA. Doesn't mean that, which isn't a problem, but I think it affects how they, how they, how they're handling these things. That is different from how it used to be. So, for example, just like in Magic, where an errated card will be reprinted with the totally up-to-date text, they actually keep a whole. There's a whole Oracle database. So technically, the card text is changing all the time. And if you want to be yeah. playing up to date, you're all, you know, like all your tournaments and stuff are happening with Oracle rules, like, like the Oracle text of the cards. So you need to understand all that. You need to know what your cards actually do, even if what your printed card says is different. Now we're coming to, 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 to D&D. They're doing that to an extent with D&D. So if you have a player's handbook that had negatives to ability scores for races, future player's handbooks will not have that. So you now have an outdated you know, we can all hope collector's item. <laughs> Player's handbook for for As we've all seen too, where yeah. we've said, Oh, go to page this, and you're like, 
that's it's not here. And you're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, actually, we have. That's right. The first printing had things that we've sat down at the table. So we started the Woodstock Wanderers as a way for us to learn fifth edition, you know, about a year and a half, getting on two years ago now. And we literally did. Two of us had different players' handbooks even then. Of course, the game had already been out for several years. So that's kind of like, like that approach to things that, okay, we're going to make changes. We're going to stick with them and we're going to keep them moving forward as part of their DNA. I don't know how TSR handled reprints because who would know if they made them? I don't know how many books actually had second print runs. Wow, the stuff was hard enough to get. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember anything from TSR that clarified and disambiguated in this way. And I certainly don't remember any rules changes. That wasn't really what they did. Back in the day, Tony, if I wanted to get a rules question answered, I would have gone to a magazine. That's like, true. literally... Yeah, right. Yeah, His advice Dragon was on right? Dragon Magazine. You'd have to write in and, you know, the great <laughs> Gary Gygax himself may grace you with an answer. There's your answer. Oh, well, and as we heard, originally Gary Gygax, Gygax would pick would pick up the phone if you called him and just help you figure things out, which I got to say, I miss. Like, you yeah. know, what I mean, I think we should be able to call he some would. of these folks and ask them what's going he on. He would. Right? And that came the time when he came out with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons as he split from uh, from Artisan. And then it was, if you're not playing by these exact rules, it's not D&D. And then, you know. That's what they call branding right there. There's a lot of there's a lot of intellectual property struggles between the different games in those years, too. Like the like the Cole Cthulhu thing with Chaosium. Um, So I do think there is a difference there. I mean, but it's, it's a difference in the companies and it's a difference in the time. We no longer live in a magazine speed world. This comes up all over the place everything we we no longer live in a world where if you wanted to really talk D with someone you were going to a convention or you're oh, going God, to, yeah. going to like to, to like a social mixer with other gamers which is really how he was selling these games in the first place i mean gary he he i'm sure he put the, his phone number in those rule books knowing that he was going to personally know most of the people who'd be calling that number anyway because that's how it worked <laughs> We don't live in that world anymore. We live in an online world. We live in a world where we have a lot of virtual interactions. Me, Tony, and Dave are staring at each other through a Skype screen right now. And none of us is honestly representing where we are. I've got tentacles behind me. Tony's got a mountaintop. And Dave's got Strahd. So, I mean, this is the world. baby. If we don't, and, and so in this world, you know, people expect to be able to go online to find answers to their questions. And, they ex- and one of the things that also comes I don't know with that, but one of the things one of the things that is definitely a feature of when we're living, people expect things to be fixed and they expect fixes to move forward. So mm-hmm. coming from the old school point of view, I kind of like the books to stay the way it was. I mean, I paid like what at this point, 60, 70 bucks for a book. Yeah, a book should be finished, but that's not the way it works. You know, the way it works now is, yeah, you know, and I also, I also know this from the other side, because God knows we used to get to we used to get early access to magic cards at Inquest. We constantly got things wrong on power level. And I totally understand how the designers got things wrong, even though they play tested them because nothing play test like a million people playing your game for two years. Mm. Like you will never, I don't care how robust your play testing program is fifth edition. It was very robust. Yeah. They took years and play tested publicly. Take a look yeah. at the unearthed arcana stuff that turns right. into the class, the subclasses in, you know, like Tasha's that's just dropped today or Xanathar's or any of those, the play test, the, the, like the, the UA stuff. Why? Like go look at the artificer back at right. back before, right? There's some similarities. They are going to play vastly different in your game. Yeah, you know? And I'll tell you what, in the online community, there are certain players who definitely talk as if they have a right to use UA in every game they're in. So right. there's actually like there's one UA uh, fighter. I think it's called it's a fighter build tunnel fighter where you get an unlimited number of opportunity attacks in a round. 
Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, so, so at least I haven't played. Maybe if you're in a tunnel. So if you're talking about if you're talking about opportunity attack builds like on like <laughs> a Facebook, sure. right? Like if you're in like a Facebook optimization group, like we, like I, I we hang out sometimes in the uh, in, in fifth edition in the character optimization, yeah. and you start talking about opportunity attack, someone's gonna pop in and say, yeah, but you just take this 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 unearth arcana build, and I'm looking at that like a damn like no no you no, you, no, you, you get don't. your dirty build out of my game no, no. Yeah. <laughs> not happening I can see exactly how nasty that would get with setting on polar master get out. <laughs> Could you um, imagine? Oh my god! So I mean, yeah, it's a game. It's a game that it moves to keep balance, and I think that's a that is I think that is something that's part of Wansi's DNA. You know, they really learned that through Magic: The Gathering, all their big organized games, and they don't they they do it with a light hand with D and mean, everywhere with the Errata, everywhere it says, "Look, you're the DM, and you can do it your way." I can definitely tell, and if you look at what they don't rule on. You can tell, like, like Jeremy Crawford doesn't answer every question, and you can tell some of the questions he doesn't answer are because he doesn't want to lock in a DM from playing it the way they want to play it. Like, mm. they they seem to avoid, like, uh, one is um, Tensor's Floating Disc. By the rules, Tensor's Floating Disc only moves as it is. Tensor's Floating Disc does not, if you push it, it doesn't go sliding. Like, like. Right. The, but but physically, as a DM, I might interpret that as well. Like it's a disc in the air. It doesn't really have friction. If you blow on it, you can push a guy in it. You know, you can have an unseen servant push you standing on your tester's floating disc. I have not seen him answer something like that, or you know, that question in particular. And I feel like the reason not to is because he feels like one. I'm sure they feel like once they lock it in, one of DMs have a reason. It takes away some of your creative control. I do feel like the Watchers trying to make sure that. They're managing their game and they're managing, keeping things straight and they're keeping things within a uh, reasonably balanced. And I think they're trying hard to do that without actually forcing DMs to play their way. Like yeah, I really I, see that in the game. In, in the I era. would go back to what Tony said with the uh, right in the beginning. They have that disclaimer with the rules as written, rules as intended, rules as yeah. fun. And they they are really pushing on that to to hopefully not make it like magic. You know, Tony. Well, honestly, something I really appreciate. Uh, in that respect as well, was fourth edition. Things were also very cut and dry. Like the DM, too cut and dry. I think we yeah. all. I agree at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was like DM. Here are the rules, but but no no no. And you know that was that. Which might actually be why Wansi's kind of taken this approach with fifth edition, where you know it's taken us years before they really stepped in and changed the spell in a way that impacted character builds. You know, they seem like they were trying, like, I feel like they're reluctant to make that kind of change that forces the DM's hand. Like, that, that's the that's like a reading between the lines on what they answer, what they don't answer, how they answer it. I really do feel like they're sitting there going, look, do we need to put an opinion out there? Because if we don't need to put an opinion out there, that leaves it open for DM's to interpret, which is probably the better way to play. Mm, yeah. Yeah, speaking of interpret, I'm looking at this errata for Grappler. You know, so I have a little vested <laughs> stake in this here. Oh, I, Hawthorne. Yeah. Uh-oh. Is because Hulk Hogan it, in trouble or Hulk Morgan yeah, in trouble? Yeah, no. He he would be unhappy with this ruling here. It says, "Screw that, brother." Yeah. <laughs> uh, the third benefit has been removed from the grappling feat, and the third bullet point is creatures that are one size larger from you don't automatically succeed on checks to escape your grapple. So let me put this in perspective, though. Say Hawk Morgan threw an ogre in. Uh, he was grappling him, and Hawk somehow got a girdle of storm giant strength he would automatically break free am i reading so, that right so let me understand so so the original the original text of that was that you could a creature that was one size category larger of you did not automatically break grapple 
Creatures that are one size larger than you do not automatically succeed on checks to escape your grapple. So now they got rid of that. So now, so 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 now they do automatically succeed. Correct. Huh. Well, regardless you know, we... of your strength, and I got to tell you, if I have a twenty nine, now I understand that mass does affect your strength in this edition. That's an interesting yeah. twist on that. Plus, they're but... talking about your whole can you stun Unicron argument right there. You know, they're talking about can you gra- could you grapple Unicron? Although he's more than one size category larger. Oh well, God, yeah, we brought him back. We brought him back, everybody. Unicron's back. <laughs> Where's the monk? Where's the monk? <laughs> the monk will punch him in his floating head around Cybertron. That's right. Cybertron. The monk is on Unicron, but no, your your dirty fighter grappler, he can't. No. He, he cannot. Can't. He cannot take the ogre to the ground in a grappling hold. He'll just break loose of it, even if he has a twenty nine strength. <laughs> Which, in my mind, having storm giant strength means you could basically, you know, toss a friggin' boulder across town, but. And that really does bring us to the question, right? I mean, you have a player who wants to play these things. They don't technically work by the books. What do you do? I mean, how how strong is the errata in your mind? What do you do, and how do you rule on that? Dave, since you're going to have to rule on that now, how do you rule on it? Yeah, since, since, it's, since it's coming up in your game. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it, it kind of is coming up in my game because we're playing – we have already uh, – messed with the grappling rules as they are so yeah. so the errata is kind of is a little bit out the window i understand point. i haven't seen tasha's yet and i apologize to the audience i'm sure by now you all have seen it and read it and gone through it i understand there is a grappling rework in tasha's i don't know what it looks like it's probably out there if we had bothered to look. i didn't yeah. think this conversation I mean, was I'll, going get, that I'll get it i'll get it i'll get the book at some point i'm gonna i want to see what everybody uh yells about first um i've actually got, i've actually got a copy uh, i've got a copy on order at my friendly local game store Supporting the local businesses. Supporting the local businesses. Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, I like having a game store open. It's they host a ton of games, and if I'm going to buy a a D and D book, I'm usually going to try to buy it from them, just because. Like, we haven't had a game store around here in decades. I don't think my entire life have I had a friendly local game store that actually held board games. Like, we've had like some card shops, like like sports card shops that held some magic stuff, but to actually have like a big game store with space. With you, you actually have a, they have a board game library. You can go in there, you pay ten bucks, you can play Scythe or uh, any any game they have on the shelves. They have a bunch. They have Wingspan on the shelves. They have Gloomhaven. They have there. They have all the good stuff there. Like you pay ten bucks, you can go try any game you want. Decide you want to pay two hundred bucks for it. So yeah, I'm supporting <laughs> that game shop. I want this to stay in the neighborhood. <laughs> Looking for game. It's here in in, in Buckscotty, Pennsylvania. Great shop. Yeah, but I'm I'm definitely gonna get it. I mean, I try to get all these books because we wind up using them. You know, the core books. I don't get all like the I don't I didn't get the Sentinel Burners. I don't get the I don't get the setting books necessarily unless I'm gonna use that setting. But I do get all the core books because, well, you know, we have a podcast talking about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and they always have really cool stuff, especially if you're yeah. looking for weirdo monsters or, or something. But um, I think there's there's two ways to go about it, and there's two ways I would go about it too. If it's something that is clarifying, something that is already a a known quantity in the rules, like I use the idea of the jack of all trades and the initiative, Mm. you know, I would bet most people are missing that. Okay, I mean, kudos to you if you didn't miss it, but I missed it for about, I don't know, six levels. First time I'm really playing a bard seriously, though, too. But regardless, um, something like that where it's clarifying, oh, wait, you know, like you've been missing out on something that's already there. If it's something where they have actively changed something that a character has been using, and let's say, uh, you know, you guys are now level eight in in, in Curse of Strahd, and they they come out with something that says, oh no, the way this works is like let's say 
Chris's character, Sir Scar, has been punching dudes and divine smiting them, right? Because mm. he doesn't want to unleash the sun sword, right? So he's just all about just beating dudes to a pulp daredevil style, right? Well, if that's what he's been doing, and I see that this says, well, no, you can't do I'd be like, all right, well, maybe next game we'll change mm. that. But for this game, that's how it's staying. Unless it's something that is seriously warping the game. Uh, seriously, you know, maybe the booming blade and the shadow blade and the sneak attack was seriously like crushing some people's campaigns. Who knows, man? So if that's the case, you can always talk to the people. But if it's in that game, it's staying in that game. We can well, talk it, next campaign. It's funny because this game has just collected our our, our, our new rule rule outlaws because Phineas in that game is a changeling and I have no idea. I probably did stack his. So, so the, one of the rules is that the changeling can no longer put their plus two and plus one racial ability or racial ability bonuses. They can both go in any stat, but they can no longer go into the same stat. Phineas may have, I may have like had like a 17 and a 15 and I may have put plus three into the, into the 15 to make it an 18 for charisma. That might have been what happened. So like, I mean, like, do you walk that back? And obviously no, like, no, you know, right? something like that, that's so like, that's already so baked into the character now that, okay, cool. So you got an 18, you know, and then you already have two ASIs. So now you got a 20, right? So whatever. Um, so, so if it's already existing, especially for levels and levels, then yeah, don't walk it back. You know, just so let it like play what, out. So I feel like what you're saying is that campaign continuity is more important to you than the most current rollings. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. Hey, Absolutely. Yeah, Tony, so what do you think of that? Is that, and that, maybe is that forever, how you... too. I might, you know, some things like Tony said, I might never want to use. You know, like, I'm sorry. I would have to feel like I'm at work in a corporation. <laughs> I, I, I bring the player, you know, in a room and I sit him down. And I'm like, yeah, the new patch came out. I'm sorry. <laughs> we got to rework the character. You know, and I've been in situations where corporate changes came down the ladder. And I had to tell some somebody some stuff they did not want to hear. And I've had those difficult conversations with people based on those things because of policy changes. And I'm like, I'm not doing this in my fantasy life. You're out of your mind. <laughs> you mean as a dungeon master, you're not, you don't consider yourself a, a direct conduit to the Wizards of the Coast Corporation. You're not, you're not, you're not a de facto intern for watching. Uh, when they start paying me, I'm absolutely on board. <laughs> well, look, I love that Crawford does the sage advice. I love it. Oh, yeah. I do. I thank you, Jeremy. Continue. Last time I checked, he's getting paid by Watsi, right? So, oh. like, literally what Tony just said, yeah, I'll do it all day if that's my job, you know? Sure. <laughs> so, you know, and I think that's actually a really great point. You know, in, well, one of the things that we come down on, and I think, I think we all three kind of agree on this, is that, yeah, the rules, yeah, when you decide, they're kind of just guidelines. You know, yeah. most of the time I'm kind of strict on the rules because I want to understand how they work and I want the players to understand how they work. And, you know, I want I want players to get in the habit of, you know, understanding how the system works rather than asking me to roll in their favor. But when it comes to things like this, like the erratas, yeah, I'm not going to change my game if it's already going on. And I, and I, also, I, I doubt very much they would want you to. Because if you've made characters around the idea that Booming Blade and Shadow Blade work together, if you've made if you've already made your Changeling and your five levels in, or even two levels, if we launched last week, I don't want to make you go back and redo your stuff. Because you've made you've made decisions. The players have made decisions based on the stats and the abilities as they understand them. You might even have a player who's looking ahead and like, hey, that that ability in two levels works this way that they changed it now now they've nerfed it. You know, I think it's well, I think it's always okay 
to adjust the rules for your homebrew. Even he, but here especially, I think it's okay to say, look, we can play what we have in our books rather than what's actually the official wording. I think that's fine. But there's some downsides to this too. You know, we say great to homebrew all the time. Let's look at what you lose though. In your game now, if someone goes to look something up online, they're going to find the official wording, not the wording you're playing by. That's one of the consequences you take. I think the other thing, and, and why I'm on the fence about whether or not, you know, why honestly I kind of, I don't love them changing spell work, the way spells work in an RPG. And one of the reasons for that is that now if you don't want it to work that way, like if you want it to work the way it is in the book and it doesn't work the way online, you now have, you might have a player who comes in and kind of causes an issue with that. You know, maybe the player's like, oh, this is, but the player may look at that as more authoritative as what you're saying, how you're going to work it in your game. That can be a negative. So those are like, they just, some of those things can be a little inconvenient around working around this kind of ruling, especially if you don't want it to work that way. Uh, what about you? I mean, is there any, do you see any downside to ignoring the rules? To ignore, no, ignoring the rules. Any downside to ignoring rulings like this when they come in? You you could run into some problems like that. I, I, at least the changes that I've looked at. I mean, most of them add clarity in places that just, in case there is any doubt, in other words, that I think are really good. One example is they've really kind of delved into armor class, of all things. Like they spelled out, and they're like, okay, you know what? If you're unarmored, there's absolutely no dex ceiling on that, which I felt was intuitive. That was not anything I needed any clarifying on. However... Something a little interesting. If you have unarmored defense, you can't stack that with mage armor, which I personally, I mean, it's like, wait, what's the best thing a barbarian could do? I don't know. Take a dump and stat, uh, take a dump level <laughs> wizard. All of a sudden his armor class goes up three points. You're not concentrating to use mage armor. It's just on you for the next eight hours. And all of a sudden my 21 armor class is at 24. And it's like like bullets are just deflecting off me like I'm Superman. Yeah, you know what's funny with that is they kind of said almost the opposite. It sounds like when I saw one piece of the uh, in the compendium where if somebody did a multi-class of barbarian cleric, that they would not be able to cast concentration spells while raging. But if they cast, let's say, spiritual weapon... Mm. And then went into rage. The spiritual weapon is still active because they're not concentrating on it. So they're raging and the spiritual weapon is coming down and blasting you every round, too. Yeah, because so, they can still take that mind, that bonus out. Right, right. Because yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's a bonus each each round. But um, Yeah, and, there's, and there's, you're not casting a spell. You're not concentrating on a spell. Right. It's just a bonus action available to you. And, yeah, you're allowed to use it. The only thing you would have to do is cast it before you rage, and then you're then you're gold, you know. So any of you barbarian clerics out there, which I I mean that's cool. You're kind of like a shaman yeah. or something, you know. That's awesome. Barbarian cleric um, paladin. I mean, the thing that kind of came to mind, like we're talking about, like you know, when do you use the rules? When don't you? How do you? Yeah, continuity. It's like I'm kind of gonna put it. It's like so. All police. If any of our listeners are police officers, if you could please turn off your. Uh, podcast platform right now or fast forward for the next 30 seconds please thank you so it's kind of like speed limits and yellow lights right <laughs> they're 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 very discretionary and like it was speed limits they're kind of a suggestion right no one who has ever driven a car has ever not run a yellow light into a red and hasn't sped right but if you do that all the time with no thought and no discretion, you're probably going to crash, right? So in essence, you're going to warp your campaign. You're going to run into problems. But do I always have to go exactly 15 here or 25 here or 55 here? No. I mean, if Sammy Hagar is to be believed, he can't drive 55, okay? It's just not in his DNA, people. 
So it's and, and for the like, record, Dave does take Sammy Hagar to be an authoritative source on all things. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's good tequila, but um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's like that's how I'm kind of gonna go with it. That's that's for tonight. Speed limits and yellow lights. There we go. That's you know <laughs> treat them in that way. Enough respect for understanding what they do, the skeleton of the rules. But you know, there's suggestions. There's discretion to be made. You know. One final thing on armor class. I want to say before we move on. I think it's super interesting that an actual shield will stack with mage armor, which its origins go back to first edition if you were a fighter wizard. You could pull off that combo. <laughs> they, they kept it in there. Well, shields stack with, like, shields are interesting because shields don't count as armor. You can actually, you can use a shield as a, with, with unarmored defense. It's, shields are there. They're, 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 they're hanging out there as the, as the big game-breaking armor class bump if you want them. Yeah, but what you can run into, depending on, again what you're thinking about the speed limit. Um, if you're a wizard with a shield, uh, you could get screwed for some of your somatic components unless you um, have taken, I believe it's Warcaster, um, which allows you to Correct. do it with a shield. It specifically um, says it. Again, is that something that you're going to go and be like, nope. Now, if that's how you're doing it in your game from, the, from day one, yeah, go for it. Everyone knows. If you're changing it, 12 games in, that's kind of a dick move at that point. Well, and how does that, because, I mean, the wizard with uh, semantic components mean they need a free hand to cast. Yeah, they're they're doing their, their gobbly gook with their hands. I mean, can't you always cast with your offhand? Uh, well, not according to the way the feat works, too, because I, be, I think it is Warcaster is, allows you to cast while holding a shield. Well, the reason I ask is I think Warcaster is, is assuming you're holding a blade as well. Oh, maybe. I, that was, that's oh, maybe. I, oh, maybe. Okay, maybe. Maybe. I don't however, know. Having because... having said that, I think you know if you're going to use, I think you might need an implement in your off in your in your hand though too. If something oh, has material components, you might need. A, yeah, I, the the S and the M might be separate hands. And God, I feel like I should know this. We have not gotten that deeply into it with any of our casters. I have not been a dick <laughs> about. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, components. unless it's something, uh, I usually will bring that stuff in if it's something very scenario dependent. If we've created a uh, a scene where they're bound and gagged like the Woodstock Wanderers were over the pit, well, now maybe your verbal components aren't going to work for right now because you're gagged, right? For yeah. this, you know, I'm not going to check up with you every single time if you have uh, freaking guano to cast fireball, you know. But for certain encounters, I might I might pull that in. But that's more for flavor. Than I mean, the, the rule on uh, on on spellcasting focuses is that the focus replaces your material component unless the material yeah. component has a gold piece value. Gold piece so value. like so yeah. that is your 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 wand is your guano, which is a little weird, honestly. I mean, I kind of that's the sort of thing that you kind of wonder what the deal is there. And I'm that's you know that's the kind of thing where I assume they wanted to keep material in just for the added verisimilitude. Even, but they made it super easy to ignore material, like your material yeah, component. Absolutely. So long as they don't have a value. Exactly what happened. Yeah, I like to play loose and fast with that, to be perfectly honest. Because I have to say, I am an old school wizard. I played back in the day where I had all my spells written on my sheet. And guess what I had? All my material components. And that was some bullshit, folks. Um <laughs> You know, like like back in the day, you um, yeah. had to re memorize your spells, and if you 
literally couldn't read them out of the book. You couldn't remember them. Like, I mean, it's like forgetting the Pledge of Allegiance. But don't get me started on that. Um, now they're, they're much nicer and say, you know what, unless the spell specifically says the, con- the components are consumed, you still have them, which is a nice bonus. Um, but unless I feel there's an actual gold piece value attached to the components, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not super concerned with it. Well, it almost feels like they build it for another game system. You know, it almost feels like it's like, look, if you want to play that super that 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 super finicky, you know, eye of newt kind of spellcaster, you can do it. You have the material in fifth in D and D still in fifth edition to do it. But we're gonna make it really easy for you to not be that kind of guy if you don't want to be. You know, it's, it's all it takes is you know just find yourself a stick, make it a wand. There you go, you're good to go. Mel, I was playing a. Uh, I, I mentioned the one time it was it was a Pathfinder game, but I was playing a wizard, uh, Mesmero the Magnificent, and uh, I for for just kind of flavor of the character, I kept a track of all of what he was having to cast with. And I would I would kind of pull it into when I was saying what spell I was going to cast. I would pull out the the sand and blow it in the air for a color spray or something like that. But that was for the fun of like, you know, the narrative quality, the flavor of the character, rather than like Tony saying, I'm having to keep a goddamn recipe log like my <laughs> Betty Crocker. Uh, I got a bacon. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Right. You're going to need it. I mean, I would imagine most major cities in D&D have a component delivery service. You know, you get your stock of stuff. You, it's like we, Xerox. You know, you, you, Xerox, Xerox keeps your copy or you got some company that brings out your mage stuff. Now, that does go back to Thorin. You recently shared uh, something on our I think our Facebook page uh, and Twitter about the um, uh, somebody was reading through their uh, old Advanced Dungeons of the Dragons book. Uh, and it was whatever spell it was. But it was literally like the wizard points at a person, and if they fail their save, their heart stops. They're dead no matter what, right? And the person was like, it really feels like magic. So <laughs> if you have like – right? Like if you have that or wish that literally not – it's an eighth-level spell or less, and then it's DM description. But like you can literally reshape the universe or the multiverse, right? You can be Thanos and just snap. Then yeah, you're gonna be carrying your fucking material components because I want to make sure you have to find that like caterpillar uh, leaf or whatever, right, to be able to cast it because you're gonna just fuck some shit up, right? To be what? fair, the monk can do that now. What? Uh, what? The uh, oh, with Stop the uh, yeah, the quiver comp still works. Just they blow their save, they're dead. <laughs> Is it Tony? That it? That's classic. Yes, you want to talk about what's dry? You feel like you ever get slogged in a shopping experience? Try watching somebody in your party haggling for mundane material components. <laughs> How uh, much episodes in a row about haggling? <laughs> yeah, like so. I, this actually was a scene that I, I was subjected to. So those are the premium glow worms you have there, and I got like I just feel like start downing beers as I'm watching this. I'm like, oh my god. And please start a fight, start a fire, do something. <laughs> Get me all, out of these old players need to understand that every time you haggled for a price, he wanted to he wanted to quit the game. <laughs> <laughs> o- over over glowworms, yeah, I'm out. Like I can't. Let me try the eggplant. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> yeah, David, it's it's funny you brought that up uh, about the about the the Facebook post because it does it does dovetail into here about the way Watsy handles Arata now versus how TSR handled well everything. 
you know, and what right. that and what that means about is basically, you know, someone was looking through their old through through the first edition, uh, you know, uh, a spell compendium, and they found that, and it's yeah, it's just you know, and, and what they pointed out was, you know, early systems like the early D and D, magic wasn't focused on combat. Magic, most magic spells didn't have any combat effect. I mean, you still have fireball, magic missile, great, yeah, they did damage, but most magic spells didn't impact your combat game they had world-changing effects. And yeah, the world-changing effects would have a combat effect that the game had to be able to manage, but they weren't focused on combat mechanical interactions. Your wizard was literally reshaping the universe, not knocking off a few hit points. And that that is, I think, uh-huh. central to how this game has changed. We talked about this a few episodes ago. D&D, the old D&D, through second edition, uh, really used to be more about exploring magical worlds and building and exploring magical worlds and having magical impact on them. And it was a little more of a thought experiment type game. You know, we've come up, we've talked about this a few times where the game was more about, okay, what can you imagine doing it? We weren't focused on your character sheet and your combat and how things interacted. Now, a lot of the game was still combat. God knows we still fought all the time, (laughs) but it wasn't like, it wasn't like tightly meshed gears. It was more, okay, you're fighting. Here's how you resolve your fighting. Here's you guys do what you do. Here's the effects they have. You move on. It was a little more, when we talked about the kinds of game that, that you know, like what we, we talked about what 5th edition does well and what it doesn't do well. We talked about how 5th edition doesn't do exploration well. In a really exploration-focused game, part of the reason it doesn't do that well is that to be exploration-focused, you can't be this combat-focused. Like, it doesn't matter what rules are there for exploration. If 90% of the game is based on this, basically combat mini game that almost like really like 90% of your books are built around. You can't be an exploration focused game. Those older games were more focused on, okay, your spells change the world and they're more exploration focused. And that is a difference. That game didn't need such tight errata because the DM was handling all that anyway. Now, now that the combat is this tightly bound together mini game, it does need to fit. It, it should fit together and work well. Cause if they don't get this stuff working well together, well, then they've kind of failed at what the game does best, you know? So that's, yeah, that's, that is another way that I think this does fit the new D and D, even though it didn't fit back then. Mm. Tony, what were you saying? Uh, one of the uh, bits of new errata I have to comment on, it asks what happens when a Druid puts on metal armor and the answer is he explodes. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. And I am going to hold any Druids to that because it is raw. End of story. Um, I'll just point that. No, no, they 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 wrote that and then they go on to explain like what movie is saying. You know, it's it's actually just taboo. Yeah, so what they so kind Tony's going to stop reading at he explodes. That's for Tony's game. Yeah. Ah, you you put on the metal armor, you explode it. We're going to ignore the rest of the errata. <laughs> yeah, they that, kind that, of break, they finally break down to where they're saying it's like vegetarians can eat meat. They choose not to. You know, it's they like just don't. They still don't. But yeah, the first line just says they explode. Period. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> well, I've seen the tweets. That's actually for, he's he, I think he's answered that in tweets that way before. I've, I've actually there is a compendium site that is not run by Watsi, but he basically pulls in all the tweet conversations where Jeremy Crawford and uh, and and the rest of the folks at Watsi are clarifying these things. Chris Perkins is another one who's often in there. And yeah, that that is what he said there too. I do like the clarification on things that where there was a tiny bit of gray area with multi-classing. For example, mm-hmm. if you multi-class, you're not going to get your saving throw proficiencies of your new class. You get at your base. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, your feats aren't dependent upon your overall level. It's your class level. So you have to see where you are in your class level 
to hit your ability score improvement benchmarks. Yeah. Oh, okay. That is kind yeah. of confusing. It, you know, I mean, multi-classing is really central to 5th edition, but there are some things that are a little bit counterintuitive about how those things go together. I wonder if you can multi-race now. I, I know they're, they're rolling out the... <laughs> Never mind. I know oh. they're rolling out that one of the things in Tasha's is going to be basically a create your own, your create your own origin cool. engine where you can basically do what we kind of all figured to be able to do. Like you can, you can pick mm. what gets what bonuses. That's actually why changeling had the, had, had got changed. Cause in that, in that create your own, create your own race thing. One of the things you can't do is double stack your, your um, ability bonuses. So they went back and, and, and made sure changeling couldn't do it too, because that's where it came up. Yeah, no, that's cool. And that's what? like, that's perfect because, like, right now, Phineas is who he is. But, you know, if you played it again, well, maybe we might, you know, you would probably be going off the, the newest information generally with character creation. But, you know, again, it's tough though because, like, speed limits and, and yellow lights. But, like, what do you do with the books you have? You know, and that's kind of the, that's one of the reasons why I kind of wish, I love the clarifications. I appreciate they're trying to balance the game. And as, as I hopefully have made clear, I get it. You know, I get why you need to balance a game like 5e. But at the same time now, like, okay, we have players at the table with different rule books, with different books, with different versions of the rules. So now we're going to have more point. versions of the rules. No, so you can't point. just open a book and make a character from the book. Now you have to go to an online resource to make sure you have the most up-to-date version. Yeah. I It was annoying doing that in Magic, but you totally understood why you had to do it. D&D, I kind of, you know, like Tony was saying, I'm like, yeah, I don't work for WADC. Why do I got to, why can't I just trust the books I paid them for? You know, taking the total, mm. you know, taking the total devil's advocate approach here. If I paid you for these books, you know, I, I would like these books to remain correct. Otherwise, you should set me up. Should they send us new books when they print new errata? You know, it, it feels like they've made the things you've already paid for obsolete for a relatively little reason. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and and if you're making if you're sitting around making characters, which is how you do D and D in a lot of cases, I do feel like that's a little bit annoying to have to double check how all these things work with errata. Well, let me give you an example of something they ruled on, which was a real not in my underwear back in second edition. Previously, they claimed that an anti magic sale would stop a dragon's breath weapon, which at the time <laughs> I said horse shit, and they got it right in fifth edition. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, in 5th edition, I mean, even like the spell magic, everything works against spell effects. They don't necessarily work against things that seem like spell effects. Mm. Which is basically yeah. how they looked at it. That's not It's not a spell-driven Ooh. power. It is not a magical item. It is a creature's ability, and your anti-magic shell does not stop that. Which does sort of come, does sort of reflect why do you need clarification from the company? Because they've interpreted, and this is why, because they've interpreted Dragon's Breath Weapons different ways in different editions. So in second yeah. edition, you had to understand the Breath Weapon was technically a magical ability, not a biological ability, even if you're like me and you hate that. <laughs> I, I personally think your Dragon's Breath Weapon needs to be biological. I just I just don't know why you, yeah, you just figure it out. You know, it's, it's, it's a magical world. They can have goofy that causes all these effects as far as i'm concerned but you know second edition didn't have that so you had to understand that to understand the rules in fifth edition they went i actually don't even know how fifth edition dragon breath works but they don't they kind of try to remove that interpretation you know you don't need to worry about it because the anti-magic shell works against spell effects yeah that cleans it up nicely i thought that was just something that always irked me where it's like ah oh, the red dragon 
throws out a blast of fire and it reduces the entire forest to cinders. And you're sitting in there like roasting a marshmallow with your sickle <laughs> spell. You're like, ha, ah, no thanks. What like I, what I stop will sign. say, though, with a lot of that stuff, like, Thorne, you made a really good point, though. It's like, well, you know, like like we had the, the incident where uh, two of the same PHB said different things, you know, uh, yeah. which... And that, that was worse because those PHBs both looked identical. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like, like there was no way to separate, know it was a different edition. It's not even a separate guide or anything like or, that. Or but, like the co- at least the cover could be different. If you're releasing a new edition to make it, it'd be nice if, if you're releasing a new edition, the covers look different. So you at least know which edition you have. Yeah, no, I, I, it, I, I don't disagree with that. And I think with those types of things, that's where I, yeah, I would probably, I would probably fall more on your side. We're like, okay, this is how it is in this, uh in the php right and then in subsequent things you can have subclasses or additional racial benefits or something like that and then what i do like um like i mentioned it earlier is that in the official releases so the phbs anathars uh you know um volos tasha's uh all of these is we get the final product for the most part of that thing of the thing that has now been play tested at least you know when they start to yeah. play around because we've seen where there's lots of homebrew stuff out there that can look like um uh that can look like official stuff and it's uh-huh. not necessarily and it's not balanced <laughs> like for instance in um woodstock bonnie has is a sorcerer and she wanted to be a giant soul sorcerer which is which is unearthed arcana stuff you know it was released in the ua and all i'll let her do it i'll I'll let her go ahead yeah and you and you looked over it and you said okay like there's nothing too wildly overbalanced which it really isn't but i like if you saw that in the book right if you if you want to be a fear bolt now well now you can go to bolos and see exactly how fear bolt is built and that's the same and i like that portion of the subsequent releases but yeah the patchwork on existing stuff uh you know i like the clarifications like i said like initiative is the perfect one yeah. but the uh the complete changes uh, you know i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> like you know there, there's definitely device. arguments on both sides of it but we seem to be kind of falling around the same thing here well it, there's a continuity to it and it shows yeah. you if you're not stacking things from the same type of source then they would still independently work. For example, if you have braces or armor class and you have a ring of protection, they do in fact stack. Now, there was problems with stacking in previous editions because people lost their minds. They're like, well, I'm wearing a plus three ring of protection on this hand. I have a plus four ring of protection in this hand. And I have a plus two earring of protection here in my my left ear. And I'm like, so what's your armor class, Bob? And he's meh. Minus 19. And I'm like, nobody can fucking hit you. You're like, the, the, you're running circles around the flash. Minus 19. <laughs> no one can understand that anymore. It sounds uh, like he has a 30. Excuse yeah, me. He, he probably has a 36. I think that was probably around a 36 or a 40 something. Well, you know, that really comes from, and I do know there was a certain, uh, that one of the big things about third third edition and third point, 3.5 edition is that stacking got out of hand, even more so than we did in second edition. Like, you That's got impossible. like triple digit modifiers in third edition sometimes. Like it got really wild. And that is something that fifth edition has intentionally tried not to do. Like the whole thing with the bounded accuracy is your bonuses are generally going to go up to 30. And then after that, well, I guess, no, I'm sorry. Armor classes go up to 30. Your bonuses generally go up to, I guess, 10 total, or I don't know how much further they go above that. But basically 
everything else is going to be managed by hit points, not by having ridiculous armor classes. So at 20th level, you're not attacking with a plus 99 and trying to hit something with 115 armor class. That's not the way it works now. You're going to have regular numbers that you can all do the math on with no problem. It's not going to get silly, but the hit points are going to be silly, and that's really yeah, how they're going to try to 573 hit points instead. Back to the old 2,000 hit point days. You're back, you know. <laughs> well, you'd run into problems there in previous editions where you'd be fighting like an arch devil, and he's got the same armor, cl armor class as a guy in plate mail. And like, mm, that doesn't feel right. Uh, yeah, 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 probably not. I mean, depending on how they, you know, depending on how arrogant your devil is, I guess, you know. It is kind of tricky. Like, do you feel like overall, like, I mean, okay, so let's we understand why it's done this way, but... Like, is that a better game? Do you feel like it's better to have to go and check things online to make sure you're using the right rollings than just going with the books you have? How are you guys going to run that at your table? You're going to going to like let your books carry the day? I mean, or how how are you going to how are you going to do that? I feel like I'm looking for rule clarifications when there's a problem or something really doesn't feel right, it doesn't set right, it doesn't apply right. Then and then it's time to start taking online. And no, I'm not going to write a letter type it up, put it in an envelope, mail it, and wait for a response in, you know, nine months when it gets to Wisconsin. But, I mean, you can just type it in, like, da -da -da -da, and, you know, it's a, the magical age that we're in. You can answer in six seconds. You You're know, so just, impatient. Uh, what happened to the good? You know, we say we're old-fashioned gamers. We can't even be bothered to wait six months for a good, solid answer. What's wrong with us? Or we a, can't a, bother a, a typewritten letter on an old typewriter. Yeah, I mean, we don't have the patience work. to go to a library and go through a stack of 14 magazines looking to see if they cover this in one of the sage advices. Oh, come on. No magazine no, no magazine around here ever kept D&D stuff for more than a week. One person took it out, and they kept it out, and it never came back. You could never, We never had a stock of uh, – they, they never kept any of that stuff. It was gone. Like People just treated that as their own free store, basically, unfortunately. <laughs> So what about you, Dave? How are you going to handle this in your game? Like, I mean, you're going to be double checking everything against the computer, or I mean, you're know, no, real in-person games that I am assuming we'll be able to have again one day, one as day. opposed to us all moving into no, fall. I mean, we, have, we have been, uh, we have been running that as we have this whole time, where you're always making uh, spur-of-the-moment decisions, uh, and you know. 30% of them are going to be completely against the rules, even though you absolutely know how that rule works. Your other character does that. And you're like, wait, um, I think it's this and it's, fun. so you just rule on it, right? You cut, if it's something where you got it wrong, you come back to it, but I'm not necessarily looking, like I said earlier with Irata, I'm looking for, um, I'm looking for clarifications that help me improve my understanding of this rule set going forward. You know, or give me a different way of looking at something where I go, oh, that's an interesting thought. You know, maybe I'm not going to yeah. go with that, but that's an interesting thought about how we're going to how we're going to play that. You know, I'm probably in the same boat. I mean, if I'm if I'm creating characters in person again, we're probably going by the players handbooks that are there at the time. And then maybe we'll tweak things if, if differences come up. You know, yeah, I, I understand. Tony, I'm kind of in the boat with you. You usually find these things when there's a problem. There are certainly times, though, where I'm just I tend to browse around a lot. I tend to constantly be looking at this stuff. So when I come across changes, I may bring them into the game or at least then you have to deal with them. I will say it is a little bit annoying that sometimes 
if you're aware of all this stuff as it happens, if you're if you're kind of constantly kind of in, okay, look, I'm a bit of a nerd, is what I'm trying to say here. These things mm. tend to come up on my radar more frequently because I tend to be engaging online or just watching and looking for stuff more frequently, which means when I see them, I have to deal with them. <laughs> which, well, it's, it's like sometimes, um, that's, sometimes that's a burden. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's like, all right, now I got to go let the player know, hey, there's this new ruling, but we're going to run it this way or we're not going to run it this way. And OK, here we go. It's not, you know, it's not even necessarily that it's a new ruling, but something that maybe clarifies it in the sense that you had to go back and really, because it wasn't well, playing, well, yeah. like with Sir Morton, right? Where yeah. he was dropping his shield, attacking two-handed, picking up his shield, and you were like, it just doesn't, and you kind of ran with it, because we were in the middle of combat, we're going, boom, boom, boom. You went back and you went, it just didn't play, it didn't, like, it doesn't make any sense logically. And then it just didn't feel right. It felt like there was something off. So you went back and you, and you look in the PHP and you go, oh, yeah, no, that's a, you know, that would be an additional action or something like that. And you go, oh, okay. And going forward, you change it. No big deal. And I think with true. some of the errata, it can be that way too. You know? And you know what? I'll throw this out there because that is the way I handle some of these situations. When I make calls at the table and I'm not sure and I don't feel like, yeah, like, like it's, you know, we're not going to look it up right then, I will tell the player flat out, we're going to go with this for now, and that's great. Go ahead. But this might change later. So take yeah. – I, when I know I'm not sure what the rule is and we're just moving on, I make it clear to the players that that's how it's going to work for now, and it might change later. So just making everyone aware, don't be – you know, you know, if it changes, don't – you know, be ready for that. I'm going to double-check things after the game, and I'll let you know if that's the way it should have worked. And I do think that's important because you don't want to come in as a DM constantly – you don't want the players feeling like the rules are constantly changing under them. And you especially don't want them feeling like you as the DM are jerking them around on which rules apply and which ones don't. So I try to have when they apply. Yeah. And and this comes down, this is kind of a feature of this conversation, right? Because if you're picking and choosing which errata to apply, you may be in a situation where your player wants that errata and you don't. And you know, that is, that is a little bit of a DM management situation you have to deal with. You know, are you going to, you're going to carry, you're going to go by the book, which I tend to default to unless I have great reason. Uh, or are you going to do it? If you didn't want to do it book where you're just going to overrule the player and tell them beat, we're doing it my way, which you have the right to do, but does sometimes create a little bit of the wrong atmosphere for the game you want to play. Right. Yeah. So I do think, you know, being clear on when you're not sure about something, letting everyone know, Hey, I'm going to go double check that after this. So this might work differently next week is important too. So, you know, they've changed the things they've changed. Is there anything in this game right now that you guys wish they had changed they hadn't yet? Like, are there any are there any rules that you feel are unbalanced? I mean, we, none of us has really tried. None of us really had to deal with the Shadow Blade, Booming Blade, Green Flame Blade thing. Unicron has not been stunned in any games that I'm aware of. That's true. Because instead of playing the a monk, rules I've are been much playing it. Well, it's funny because you know instead of playing a monk in that game, I played the Battle Master. The Battle Master has similar abilities, but they all they're all like capped by size <laughs> like they're all he, the battle master doesn't stun but he has like he can knock something prone but not if it's too big they, you know so so he is and unless you put your you know big bad guy in an itty bitty package he's safe well to be fair my opponents blow their save against your your uh attacks all day long you want to know what's absolutely hilarious I know, like, I was looking at the Warlock, you know, the Warlock had mentioned his saving throws were 18, and I was saying, hey, mine's only F-16, what did I do? How'd he get this special power? I screwed up. I actually, I, I was not moving my saving throws up as I went up in level. My saving throw value was now an 18. It had been a oh, 16. They're, they're level 10, 16. and I was still using a, a, a 16 as my spells, as my ability save DC, because... 
that's not auto calc on the sheet. It's something you have to write in because Battle Master's not in the Roll Twenty. So in the what we play, uh, so that, so okay. yeah. So, so so Tony, I guess my point here is that uh, they're going to fail more now, and I'm not sorry. Well, the, well, they, they're, they're they, they have, have good reason to be afraid. They're going to have higher saves. <laughs> you're going to need it because you're you're going to be fighting fire giants next game, yeah. and I don't know if you you're familiar with them, but they're horrifying. Um, <laughs> what is it horrifying that we fought? I just want to say this really quick. That last game was a couple of bad rolls away from spilling into a near TPK. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe, um, it. I believe it. We got into two, a real like, bad uh, situation. Was, were you by the book on that? I mean, it felt like you were by the book there. Oh, my man, I am so far off the book in this, this scenario. Like, I am, like, the book is, like, very COVID safe. In the guidelines, like I'm looking at the book with a telescope. That encounter was in the book. Like, or were they not the supposed old... to be stacked like that? No, no, no. They were all on that freaking ship. Oh no, no. I'm sorry. What I meant was, I actually thought you meant because honestly. So I guess we got okay. So for context, to so the readers who are going, what the hell are they talking about? Huh. Tony runs Storm King's Thunder. You sure you know that? But we got to the point where we're dealing with the Frost Giants. But before we had to deal with the Frost Giants, we had to deal with. My, a giant forces attacking three different places at once. We had to pick yeah. who we went after. And what's funny is that to me felt like the more dangerous part. Cause we went from one town where we had to fight like a half dozen giants and a bunch of other stuff to another town where we had to fight like a half giant bu- dozen giants and a bunch of stuff with no short rest between them. And I will say, I will say Zhang, the battle master, he was tired. He was yeah. very tired when he hit that second battle. No, we definitely hit that one point, and it was we were already trained pretty well. And then we have, I, don't, I think it was 19 Frost Giants were on that barge. Yeah. I think something like yeah. that. Well, I mean, we at least had a rest before we went. Oh, no, we, we rushed there, too. We had a short rest. We didn't have a long rest. Yeah. So. We used the no, time, it was, yeah. It was, we did it use was the time the, 10, I think. I think we took the time 10 rest. So we did have a long rest through through Tony's magical artifact we had our long rest. <laughs> so I mean yeah, so how many frost giants were on that boat? You know, honestly, I want to say it, the other faction had a couple of giants and you freed the dragon, but you were fighting around 11 or 12, I want to say. At least. But they were hedged off. They couldn't get they all couldn't get to you. Um other creatures like that was a real battle royal. Like shit was summoned in the middle of the barge. So it wasn't like you were surrounded by 12 giants and fighting them, you know, on these mono mono scenarios. That's not what was happening. Well, I, I feel like that was a situation. So we got to the, and this is a scenario where the, and, and spoilers here, if you're playing Storm King's Thunder, but the giant. Maybe, the, the, maybe spoilers. Yes, we're not yeah. sure. The frost <laughs> giant Jarl is sitting on a ship with like 20 other frost giants who are oaring the ship. They've got a dragon chained up on the ship. And yeah, so if you go in and just try to blast them out, that is not going to go well at ninth level, I don't think. That seems like a very hard fight. Are we? Were we ninth? I think we were ninth. You and I. Yeah, we just did tenth. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, we, but we. That's one of those situations where I feel like we really handled that like you know special special ops style. You know, we went in, we got the, we we found the insurgent leader, we got him on our side. His giants were fighting with us. We freed the dragon as we were heading up to fight the Jarl. We got to the Jarl through under pretext of conversation, and then blocked the path between us and the rest of his forces with a wall of fire. Like we really did it. Like this was the special ops version of that mission. So we were going almost party on party on Yarl with a few other frost giants or frost giants over there with us with a frost giant allies. 
Yeah, it was like a Tom Clancy novel. Yeah, we did that one right. Like we really, we really, we 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 really we strategied the shit out of that thing. Yeah, that was that was good. That was good. Not that too far off topic. I'm glad. Yeah, you sorry, sorry. Yeah. Well, that was like off the combat too, because we really like to update people that. on the on the possible spoilers for Storm Kings. They may or may not be. We don't know. <laughs> and on the Curse of Strahd, we've been we've been uh, introduced to the danger to to the frightening possibility that Baba La Saga may not actually be dead. At least that's what I took away from the winery fight. Oh. Well, Baba Lasaga is a more what? <laughs> uh, next time I'll give her a pile driver on the steel chair. That's how that. We will end. kill her again. Oh, uh, you went straight Dudley. Son. You sure went straight Dudley boys on her, man. Just table. It was a table match. <laughs> sort of did. Sort of did. I mean, he, he dropped her, and then the rogue, and then the rogue jumps on and stabs her in the heart. Was that, I mean, was power bomb right out of the friggin' right off the ropes. Awesome. I mean, there's there's your tactical there's your tactical tip for the day. You know, body up the casters, cast at the cast at the at the melee characters. <laughs> Without getting too lost, by the way, I want to thank your warlock Thorn for not casting Hunger of Adar. Because personally, as a player and a DM, I'm completely sick of that spell. I never want to see it again. I'm so bored with it. Why? Now he has sickening radiance. Why well, would he cast well, Hunger of Hadar? Exactly. So he much more spell. We've been getting Hunger of Hadar. We've been getting Hunger of Hadar in two different games from two yeah. different players. Yeah. So we've been we had for a while been seeing, you know, three Hunger of Hadars a week. And you'll be happy <laughs> to know. Full. He's got a gut. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Hadar needs a diet. Azathoth, yeah, as Azathoth needs his due. Um or is that is that uh, I'm not sure which one that would be. That would yeah, maybe one of the other Lovecraftian style deities. However, Tony will be happy to know that Phineas actually uh he actually passed on. He he gave up hunger of Hadar yeah. last level. Yeah. Uh, that's where sick and, and he picked up sickening radiance, which is you know just as much fun. Really, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't it doesn't much. slow them down, but it's bigger and it gives them exhaustion. So yeah, I think it's actually heftier. Yeah, I think and it's, it's nice that we can all see through it. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, sickening radiance is. It does not. It's it's bigger. It, it does not create uh, difficult terrain, so it doesn't impede them. Also, there's only one saving throw, and if they make it per turn, they take they, they have no negatives. Like, they totally shrug it off. However, if they fail their save, it's 4d10, and it's the uh, level of exhaustion, uh, exhaustion yeah. which, is, which is nice, because that gives them disadvantage at, like, everything they're trying to do. And so you gain 15 rad points. Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. Fall out. And so that it really does feel like a very Fallout style spell, to be honest with you. I feel I feel like you can hear the Geiger counter going off when you when when you're casting it. <laughs> Dave, have you played Fallout? No, but oh, I understand. I understand the reference. Fallout New Vegas, Fallout Three, Fallout New Vegas, Fallout Four. I didn't play three, but I played New Vegas and four, and I've heard three is even better than New Vegas. All really good. Nice. Fallout New Vegas is a lot of fun too. Like that's if you get a chance, if you want to go back and play something, Fallout New Vegas is a fun game. To I play. haven't done, I haven't done any like uh, video gaming in oh god long time though. That's fair. You know, I barely have time to do it myself right now. Like I was just noticing, I hadn't played anything in two weeks, and I've got like a half dozen different things I'm trying to get through. <laughs> just being adults, right, you know. We're and getting we, really off topic, but yeah, we got a four one. We streamed are, it on PlayStation so, you Plus. Know, Sorry guys. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We never actually. Okay. So we never we never finished going around the table though. Is there anything you'd like to see? You wish they would have added that they hadn't. So, Tony, right. anything for you? Mm, I've already did my full monk rant. I think I, I think I'm dry on that. <laughs> uh, 
What about you, Dave? A- anything they should have eroded they haven't? I that's a hard. I don't know. That's a I, I I'm I'm feeling a a blank uh a blank stare here because I'm I'm kind of at a I'm kind of what? at a loss. Actually, I'm gonna ask a question here. It's so like so if you're in a martial character and you mar- and you multi-class into another martial class on the level where you hit your multi-attack, you just get squat. Because they obviously don't stack. Uh, well, it's not really. I mean, that's the thing. But like, like buddying up martial classes are not necessarily that great. Kind of like buddying up casters. Like you can get some buffs, but you kind of you get more spells, but you don't necessarily get more like uh, hefty firepower. Okay. So, so, so if one's caught on to this, the uh, warlock sorcerer combo is really, really deadly. And one of our players has kind of just, just kind of like you know, kind kind of backed into it in two of the games. I'm not sure if she knows how deadly it can be, but the warlock saucer actually lets you because. So so what I'm saying, the simple point is there are times when it does make a ton of sense. Sorcerers can burn spells for spell points, which they can then turn into spells. Yep. Warlocks yep. refresh their spells on every short rest. short rest, which lets you make if you take uh, if you take the. Um, the warlock, the warlock feet that you don't have to sleep anymore to the feet or an Eldritch invocation. But there is a, there's a way, there's a thing for the warlock where you don't have to sleep anymore, which means you never lose spell points, which means you can literally just walk around and make infinite spell points. Yeah, it's called Ooh. the coffee lock. Look into it. It's, it's, okay. it's considered. It, many people consider it the most broken class in the game. They have not around. It's one of those things where I mentioned that they they seem to avoid errating things away they tend to want to let they seem to want to let the dm handle it so like jeremy crawford has given he's given a, an opinion on it but the opinion has been more like well you could decide it works this way if that's a problem for you but yeah so 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 in terms of synergy coffee locks still exist up to the dm the dm has the ability to nerf it if they want to but it's dm kind of dm interpretation that would nerf it you can basically you take the feet where you're the invocation where you don't have to sleep, and then you just keep short resting, burning your spell, your your, your warlock spells for spell points, short rest, warlock spells, spell points, and you can keep your spell points forever. Because mm. you don't have to sleep anymore. Okay, interesting. It is no, interesting. It's interesting. It is, because I've seen, like, because Bonnie, my girlfriend, has been, mm-hmm. she's in two games, uh, a sorcerer warlock combo. Um, yep. And yeah, you, know, you definitely get a lot of. Uh, you get a lot more uh, firepower, but you do start to lose out in terms of uh, heftiness of some of the stuff. Like you, it takes you that much longer to get to some of the big, big boys, you know. Which is which is what happened when I multiclassed a druid with barbarian. Right. Because as we've talked about, that means well, number one, now I'm now I'm behind on my on his. It's a moon druid. He can transform. I am now behind on his transformation power curve. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm getting all my all my. I'm going up in CR. And on top of that, theoretically, if we cap at 20, I'll never get the thousand forms uh, ability where you can uh, where you can transform at will. So that effectively makes you immortal because every time you transform, you get new hit points. So by taking that one level of barbarian, I may have given up on immortality. Of course, we're, who knows if we'll get to play this game again or whoever gets to level 20. So it might not, yeah. I'm assuming it's not going to matter. As Tony has said too, yeah, he's made the good point like just an episode or two ago about like you're about to retire and like, hey, here's all this awesome stuff. Ah, oh, I'm getting tired though. Yeah. 
It, it's like you get Excalibur instead of a watch when you leave the company. You're like, oh, I can't use it now. I, I could have really used this when I fought Strahd. That's right? right? That would have been super handy. Yeah, when I cleared uh, out the nine hells, that could have been... I don't know. Last time I ran a level 20 game, there was breeding Tarrasque on the field. So, I mean, Tarrasque had started had started populating the world. So, I think my players still could use it at level 20. Uh, one of our add that I do appreciate... Um, in case there's any uh, lack of clarification, was that vampires are not affected by hold magic anymore. Um, in the earlier systems, that was intuitive uh, because the, uh, the undead in general just got a package of immunities, like they're immune to sleep, yeah. immune to charm, paralysis, hold, etc. Um, and I just feel like that's part of the undead flavor. And I've, I've complained about this in previous podcasts. And in fourth, that wasn't super clear. Hence, you could put a, a ghost to sleep or even knock him out. Yeah, no, I, I noticed that because uh, Roderick takes a bunch of uh, those types of spells, and almost none of them are uh, work on the undead. Like, almost none. Dominate, hold, suggestion, like, almost nothing, you know? So, yeah, that flavor of it. Well, I mean, that is, I mean, hold person, that would be affected, I believe, by hold monster. No, those are it, it specifically states in those uh, dominate monster, hold monster that um, does not work on undead and constructs, I believe. Hold monster does? Because, I mean, because the reason whole person doesn't work on vampires is the vampire is not technically a humanoid. A person, the vampire right. isn't undead. Right. I am curious about hold monster if that has that same uh, uh, that, if that has that same kind of uh, wording to it. Sure, because I, I was just updating my sheet this uh, this past week. Hold Monster is also fifth level, so it's much higher. Good no, no effect on Undead. I'm sorry, yeah. yeah. I should not have questioned you. Uh, yeah, no no effect on Undead. Huh. I'm not too worried in this campaign, though. You know, if it was in Barovia, I'd be like, oh, well, this is going to fucking yeah. suck. This is but... the least <laughs> amount of Undead I've used in the last... Forever? <laughs> five to ten years? It's, it's incredible. You, you, do, you like your Undead the same way I like my Mythos Abominations. Yeah, no. Oh, I, really? I, he's a he's a long dead. It's a, yeah, always. Yeah. Dead. Oh yeah. Vampires, no, necromancers, liches. Oh. That's that's kind of Tony's wheelhouse. Okay, okay. I've only seen giants. I mean, are you, are you gonna drag us down into the underdark just because you're dying to use it? Um, that's exactly where you were for the Halloween episode. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. So going, so, so so just to wrap to to close the loop on our question, is there anything you wish was eradicated? So we're saying there's nothing we feel is so overpowered in Ezerata. Like, we haven't hit any... I, honestly, the coffee lot gets a little silly. There's the tools out there to deal with it if you want to. I mean, that's it. So we're, we're saying that we don't feel anything in 5e is so overpowered that it needs to be errated that we've seen so far. Keeping in mind that Tony did did, did, did effectively discourage monks, because, you know, we're afraid of stunts. So, yeah. The, uh, so, no, balanced system, so. we've got to give them credit for that, 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 that they've done something that we don't feel like anything's too stupid. Yeah, because any of the things that people say are so OP or so broken when I've seen it, like, for instance, Circle of the Moon Druid, that's what people say immediately. They say, oh, my God, so broken. And I'm like, it's powerful. Well, yeah, it's definitely powerful. But as Thorin, you've said before in articles and on the thing, like, as a DM, you literally have dragons at your fingertips. <laughs> like, that's cool. Be as powerful as you need to be, you know, like, whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's Lipsis running around with power word kill, and I bet you your stunning monk doesn't have 200 hit points. Right, but, um, right. I'm sorry, disintegrate. <laughs> so sorry. 
Oh, so sorry, Dr. Jones. You had a transporter accident. Your molecules are everywhere. I'm not sure. I I mean, those spells do are around. I don't know if they're... I bet you that I bet you when we get there, we'll find that they're not as overpowered as they seem. But other things are. There's always there's always more monsters. Well, they there's are always more powerful if you're, if you're, monsters. Yeah. I've got you. Have, I've got whatever amount of bullshit it takes. Like I mean, we all <laughs> as a DM, that, that's level, the You've got whatever bullshit it takes to keep things going you know, yeah. in line. If you're fifteenth level and you're cleaning out the goblin war, and then yeah, you're like a god that's come down upon these people. <laughs> but if you're fighting like the Gedanki on the freaking uh, astral sea, it's probably a little different, right? <laughs> yeah, your guys are you guys in my campaign are tough. Like they're super tough. But fire giants hit for sixty six plus their strength bonus, and they get multi attack. Every one of them. I mean, these are some bad dudes. <laughs> Not against Big B's hand. Oh, there we go. <laughs> He's got plans. You see, this is why, and this is why you need to take a soft touch on eradicating on eradicating away player abilities for exactly that. You know, I do the same thing, Dave. You just did when I'm looking at powers. You pick your power. Usually, you level up after the game, and you're like, Ooh, like Ooh. "Here's all the stuff I'm going to do with that next week." And then you know, you might <laughs> yeah. forget it by then. Sometimes it doesn't turn out to be as cool as you thought it'd be. And then you're like, oh, I wish I'd done something different there. But like players get excited about the cool, quote, broken shit they're going to be able to do with the powers and abilities. Yeah, and then you find out it's not as broken as it was, and then you have to figure it out. But, you know, yeah, yeah it's fun. That's the fun. Well, I mean, right? it's, it's, you know, fifth edition. It's a toy chess game. You got to let the toys play. If you're, if you're, if you take too hostile of an attitude on the toys, if you if you're looking to to knock out any tool any cool toy that any toy that seems too cool, you're gonna ruin the fun. You gotta let it happen. You know, you figure it out on the back end. I mean, barbarians take half damage almost all the time. Well, only if you're certain barbarian types. But you have taken yeah, that like, but you're taking like half you damage. took the path of the of the to, of the uh, totem, and yeah, that is super freaking powerful because you're half damaging on everything but psychic. Um. So, yeah, I mean, is that probably closer to being a little more OP? Yeah, I also remember when you guys, you and the Paladin got stuck behind the Wall of Stone Trap, and then the Phantom Warriors rushed out, and you guys were getting your asses handed to you, you know? So, you, you never know how stuff's going to play out, but it's still fun, right? Because Hawk runs in there like he should, and uh, I don't even think he took any damage last time. I don't think he took a single fucking hit. I don't think he did. <laughs> but that's just, you know, no, because that was another moment where, yeah, we dropped a big spell um, and we just divided and conquered him. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you guys were so powered. We irradiated one side of the house and then we irradiated the other side of the house. That was awesome. So, yes, yeah, so the way Thorin played it, guys, is so he's got the sickening radiance, right? And he drops it over the whole, like half the winery, right? So Come to the Wizard of Wines, and the 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 blights and stuff have overtaken it, and they're looking at this. This place is surrounded, right? So he drops sickening radiance on half of the thing, right? And it's just killing stuff. Just <laughs> he dispels it, casts it again. In essence, moving it down the field. Just, just, just a ship. It's almost like a stinking cloud that's doing 4d10, you know. Except more awesome, yeah. Well, you know, that's, uh, yeah, you know, if you got the abilities, I got two spells per combat, I might as well make the most of them. Oh, yeah, man. 
You know, it's it's funny because in my game, in the last game of the Woodstock Wanderers, I almost feel like the players would like some things to be eroded out of the NPCs they were fighting. Because <laughs> I, I will say this, if, if you don't, as a DM, if you've never built an enemy NPC, I don't mean a DM PC, I mean an actual, you, you have like a recurring villain that you actually literally go roll up as an NPC. So in this game, we have an Aarakocra monk and we have a human paladin. And they've all, like, I've saw, but I'm, I rolled them up. You know, I basically rolled them up as PCs. They're higher level than the party, but there's only two of them. Um, and the combat we set up was the Aarakocra monk with sentinel and uh, mobility. And then the paladin had, uh, he had charger and he was on a nightmare. And they had some, they had some also like some witherling gnolls with them, just a cannon fodder, just a party to shoot at. But that basically played out where these guys are just crashing into the party. Um, taking the party to their absolute limit. And I don't know. It, it felt like that was a good fight. I mean, the way we had to set yeah. up, every par- every party member had their own pixie, and the pixie would either haste them or polymorph them if they wanted to. Oh, yeah. No, you gave, a, you gave a ton of bonuses in that. And it totally changed it because we had a sense of where we thought that we had, you know, quote, the high ground. You know, we thought we could funnel them in, uh, literally, and they appear behind us. And we're like, what the fuck? So, yeah, oh, that's that was, awesome because that's how everything... Yeah, well, they that, broke, that's, they that's, because, uh, that's, that's because the paladin on the night... The, the anti-paladin, the, the Oathbreaker can, paladin, yeah, which is what the, the, the paladin the was. He's in a nightmare. And the nightmare can basically uh-huh. go ethereal and come charge. So, yeah, he did come charging in behind you guys. I but know only one character. very well. <laughs> Strahd has ridden in on one several times. To, 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 to be fair... Everyone else, or everyone else, did come down through the funnel. It's just that one guy who didn't. Unfortunately, that one yeah. guy was like a truck. And once he showed up, you know, the party was a little bit you know, shaken. And he he shish kebabed our paladin onto the rock. But then like, you all turn, in, then you all got to turn into to Tyrannosaurus Rexes for a little while. Yeah, that was or, awesome. or, or get flying. It was flying or or, or polymorph. Yeah. Yeah. I I honestly can't believe that there's not one match that was that wasn't broken like i can't i mean aside from like maybe artifacts or what have you i know the hand and eye effect nor floating around in this edition no i haven't found them yet honestly i mean uh one of the fireballs is pretty nice but all right it's a few more fireballs well dude in the rhyme of the frost main they literally created the spell of tarasic so (laughs) i don't know they didn't create the spell they created a singular scroll one, to one scroll of it okay which you know so whoever's playing Icewind Dale just make a wizard so that they can uh, no you can't learn it. you cannot learn that spell. oh you can't it transcribe is unique, it it is in a unique scroll however uh, it is out there and as and as one Facebook meme said today you know what do you do when the party summons a Taras to fight Tiamat you want to talk mm-hmm. about your either the, the spectator party right there okay we summon Tur- that you're fighting Tiamat we summon Tarask well and this is now this is now Godzilla King of Monsters. Let them Grab fight. The popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so guys, we've been going on for a little while here. I want to wrap up with some final thoughts. What are your final thoughts on Arata and how DMs should respond to it? I think Arata's um, definitely evolved throughout the game. Um, before it really was very suggestion based, and then it became very uh, like by the time uh, it hit fourth was very matter of fact. Uh, almost in the same sense of magic was, and now it's kind of back to the advice where it should be. So it truly is the sage advice that I think it was meant to be. Um, 
I keep making this joke that, you know, Gygax said, you know, it's like, you're not following the rules exactly. We're not going to come to your house and break your legs. <laughs> and I think that's important because certain styles work for certain groups. And uh, you need to know what works for your uh, your audience. And if you don't, then, uh, you know, you're going to lose the locker room. But you, Dave. Yeah. Um, like I said, this stuff goes all the way back to the very beginning of the game where people would be calling Gary Gygax's home in uh, Lake Geneva, right? Um, so, you know, there's some, like, there's some level of tradition to this. I think Watsi has just really, as they do with everything else, they've just focused it. So it's very, uh, very clear and very, you know, uh, rolled out in that way. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to leave it with, uh, my idea of, uh, speed limits and yellow lights. They are important. If you are in an area where there are no speed limits and no yellow lights, that's going to be a nightmare. But you know, do I have to follow them every single time? I don't know, you know. So use your discretion. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if you if you don't follow any rules, though, you're probably going to crash at some point. All of our German listeners are there thinking, yeah, we have we have some spaces with no speed limit and no and no yellow lights. And they're yeah, they also have like six years of driving school. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> the Autobahn. I got to drive yeah. that one. It was, yeah. I, I would say it was fun, but then I did get a flat on the Autobahn. Too, I so. was driven on it. I did not drive it. I was driven on the Autobahn. You are. I was. I was. I drove the Autobahn in a Ford Mondeo station wagon, which is basically the, the like like the Ford like Civic station or whatever the uh, the family truckster. Yeah, it's like it's like a, like a Ford like a what, escort. Like it's just just their family their family station wagon. So oh, I was not exactly burning up the Autobahn. It's frightening. <laughs> Yeah, I can break the speed limit. Uh, there is a speed limit, but I can't really take advantage of it in this. However, you know, uh, so as for, for my final thoughts, you know, I think what, what, what Tony uh, was saying there and what Dave was saying too really is important. You know, it's your game. There's no one in D&D as powerful as the Dungeon Master, and that includes Watsy. So you got to play the game you want to play. If a rat rubs you the wrong way, if it doesn't do what you want it to, you know, it's all up to you. The one thing to look out for is make sure you communicate these things with your players in a way that doesn't alienate any of them, that they're that where they're clear on why you're doing it this way and what you want to do. Most of the time, most of the errata works in such a way that it actually takes away from player characters. So you're, you might, you, that really might not even be a problem. In a situation where you're going to sit down, you're going to make characters at a table with books that might be outdated. I just roll with it. You know, look it up later if you need to. And if things happen, you know, if, if you notice something changes and you do want to implement those changes in your game, just make sure you let the players know that, you know, communication is key in all things. And that includes how you're going to handle Watsi's dreaded errata. So that's it for tonight, guys. I am shocked. Cool. We, we don't consider anything in this game broken. What is wrong with us? We must not have gone deep enough. <laughs> I just don't like the term. I don't like the term. I think yeah, that that's like, a, like we talked yeah. about. People have an issue with like Watsi and the magic stuff, but then they use the terms that kind of come from that stuff too, you know? So, I mean, you want to talk about broken, I mean, like the original wish spell from back in the day, like Tony Bull in his upcoming article, right? That's fucking broken. Cause you break the universe, right? So like, don't tell me like broken, nerfed, all this, you know, that's just. Actually, at this point, that article is probably going to be posted already. So at this point, we don't know what that article looks like, but you can most likely go to threewisedms.com. That's right. We're on a delay, guys. We are. We're a couple weeks ahead. I mean, yeah, we, I came from a system where you could hypothetically have uh, three attacks per round if you were dual wielding as a fighter at level one. Mm. I mean, 
I we've dealt with broken. We came from systems where you blow one saving throw and you're not just dead. Like, oh no, you get three extra saving throws to see if you recover. No, your body's cold. Like, <laughs> I'm warning you guys. Yeah, we're still in kind of the mid tiers, top tier. That stuff comes up. Finger of death. You're dead, and now you're a skeleton working for the bad guy. So. You know, it's a good it's a good point. Should we even think of these things as broken when clearly the whole system is so malleable we can just bend it back into shape? Mm. Yeah, and that's that's something to keep in mind too. Maybe that's the that is our big, the big group three wise DM's final thought on D D errata. Nothing can be so broken that the DM can't simply bend it back into the shape you want. Keep that I like in mind. That. Too. I like that. All right, guys, thank you all. Yeah, for all you listening at home, thank you very much for listening in on another episode of Three Wise DMs. You can catch more content, as we just mentioned, at threewisedms.com. We're posting an article a week, so you have at least, if you're only listening to the podcast, you have at least twice as much content on the website. So please go check us out there. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter as Three Wise DMs, and we're very responsive on both of those platforms. And you can email us if you have any questions, threewisedms at gmail.com. Also, you know, if you're listening on the podcast platforms, we would really appreciate it if you like what you hear to, to, to hit that five-star rating button. That has a big impact on how people find us. So if you want, if you want to help us spread the word, that's one of the best things you can do. That's it for this week. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Three Wise DMs.